For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I like to think of myself as a wise guy. And by wise, I mean, I can spot a rotten person from a mile away on a foggy day. Yeah, see, I didn't have to look hard to find the man in today's lesson. There have been books, shows, movies, and everything else you can imagine about his life. Al Capone was a notorious mob boss and ran the city of Chicago, as well as keeping the police in his back pocket. He was eventually caught for tax evasion, but never faced time for all of the rotten things that he did. So let's learn about the life and crimes of one of history's most famous criminals. And let's find out if he was truly rotten or if it was just syphilis. Magic mirror on the wall. Who is the most rotten one of all. Hi, hello, and howdy, my darlings. It is I, your not-so-evil queen, Joshua Waters, and welcome to Rotten to the Core, the history podcast about rotten people, where we attempt to learn a lesson or two that we can use in our current lives. It's almost Yule and the start of the winter season here in the Northern Hemisphere, and I have already eaten enough sugar cookies to fill a jail cell. The man in our lesson today, Al Capone, could fill a jail cell as well, and come to find out, he was actually one of the first prisoners to call Alcatraz home. He was public enemy number one in his heyday, but I want to find out what is actually fact and what's a big old bunch of baloney. So grab your lanterns, my darlings, and blow out your Yule Logs. We have history to get to. Nothing about Al Capone's family would suggest that he would have gone on to lead a life of crime. His parents were Italian immigrants, his father was a barber, and his mother was a seamstress. 
The Capones settled in the Navy Yard section of Brooklyn, where their son Alphonse was born on January 17, 1899, as the fourth of nine children. Ouch. Al was actually a good student academically. He made decent grades, but was expelled in sixth grade after he got into an argument with his teacher. She hit him, and he retaliated by slapping her across the face. He then worked various odd jobs as a candy store clerk, a bowling alley pen boy. He worked in an ammunition plant and a cutter in a book bindery. He also began his future career while serving in the South Brooklyn Rippers and 40 Thieves Juniors. Those are two kid gangs. He also became a member of the James Street Boys Gang during the period, which was run by Johnny Torrio. He would become his lifelong mentor. And he was also associated with the Five Points Gang, which Al officially joined at the young age of only 16. Now, Al Capone also had a certain nickname, which he hated. Scarface. He got the scars for something much less violent than I would imagine from a mob boss. It happened while Al lived in Brooklyn. He worked at a bar called the Harvard Inn as a bouncer, and one night, a man named Frank, his sister Lena, and his date came in for a little drink. Al was mesmerized by Lena and would not stop trying to talk to her. Not taking no as no, he actually told her, Honey, you got a nice ass, and I mean that as a compliment. Believe me. You know, I must be jaded, because... That would have worked on me. Frank demanded Al apologized, and when he refused, Frank pulled a knife out and cut Al's face three times on his left side. And believe it or not, Al did not retaliate against Frank for what he did. He understood that he had crossed the moral code of mobsters and had insulted his family. For all the horrible things that Al did, he was still a proud Italian family man and there was a code that he and most other mobsters followed. Al would go on to later say that he received the scars from fighting in France during World War II. He preferred the nickname given to him by those closest to him, Snorky, which sounds bad, but apparently means sharply dressed. In 1918, Al married a woman named May and she gave birth to Al's one and only child, a son named Albert Francis Capone, and they called him Sonny. They say we're young and we don't know, we won't find out until we grow. I'm Sonny Bono, you idiot! Gee, I wonder how many maitre d's have heard that over the years. (laughs) Al later shot the winner of a neighborhood craps game to death as he robbed him of his winnings. Despite being questioned by the police, he was let go because no one had witnessed the murder. I didn't see nothing. In another incident, Capone brutally assaulted a low-level member of the rival White Hand Gang and left him for dead since White Hand Gang leaders promised retribution. Al, his wife, and Sonny moved to Chicago. Al's old mentor, Johnny, had moved to Chicago in 1909 to run a big old brothel, and he was glad to have Al there to help him. 
As prohibition began in 1919 after the 18th Amendment went into effect, new bootleg operations opened up and drew in a lot of money. In 1925, Johnny retired to Italy, and Al became the big crime boss of Chicago, running gambling, prostitution, and bootlegging rackets. He also expanded his territories by gunning down rivals of rival gangs. As his reputation grew larger, he insisted on never carrying a gun as a mark of his status. But he also never went anywhere without at least two bodyguards and was even sandwiched between them any time he was in the car. He also preferred to only travel by night, risking daylight travel only when absolutely necessary. To say he was paranoid would be an understatement. Al usually had escape tunnels, steel doors, security, and bulletproof glass in all of the places he went. His famous car, a Cadillac 341A, I have no idea what that means. It was pretty, though. And it was basically an armored tank. Even the back window could be lowered so anyone chasing him could be shot at. If you live in or ever find yourself in Chicago, I believe there are tours that you can book to check out the underground world of Al Capone. I haven't myself, but I've seen a lot of them on YouTube now. There are even tunnels built that connected to other buildings, garages, and the street. It was mostly for the distribution of the then-illegal booze, but Al always liked to have an escape plan. Even as far as he would never sit anywhere with his back against the door, especially in prison, I'm guessing. A crackdown on racketeering in Chicago meant that Capone's first mobster job was to move operations to Cicero, Illinois. And with the help of his brothers, Frank and Ralph, Capone infiltrated the government and police departments between them. They also took leading positions in Cicero's government. He would kidnap opponents, election workers, and threaten voters with violence. He eventually won office in Cicero, but not before his brother Frank had been killed in a shootout with the Chicago police force. Capone's newfound status saw him moving his headquarters to Chicago's luxurious Metropole Hotel. As part of his personal crusade to become more visible and a court celebrity. That included giving the press what they wanted and being seen at places like the opera. He was different from a lot of gangsters who avoided the public. He was always dressed to the nines. He wanted to be viewed at as a respectable businessman and a pillar of the community. You see, for all the rotten things Al did, he still viewed himself as a family man first. He wanted to take care of and provide a good life for his family. And for that, I can respect him. Bootleg booze and brothels, I don't see a problem with them. They are only crimes because of prudes and not being taxable. He was rotten because of all the violence, murders, and kidnappings, to which there were many. His rise came at a big cost, the loss of a lot of human lives. Turf wars between gangs caused roughly 700 gang-related deaths from 1920 to 1930. By some estimates, Capone had been directly or indirectly responsible for over 200 murders, the most notorious being 
the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which Al was conveniently at his mansion in Florida during, and was never charged with anything related to it. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre became a national media event immortalizing Al as the most ruthless, feared, most intelligent, and elegant of Chicago's mob bosses. His next mission involved bootleg whiskey. And with the help of his old friend Frankie Yale in New York, Al set out to smuggle huge quantities of illegal whiskey into Chicago. The events would lead to what became known as the Adonis Club Massacre, where Capone had Yale's enemies brutally attacked during their Christmas party. His whiskey trail from Chicago to New York was making him a wealthy man. However, a big outcry against gangster violence followed the murder and public sentiment went against Al. But every high-profile investigation against him failed. The police then took their frustrations out by constantly raiding his brothels and gambling dens. That summer, Al went into hiding for three months. Eventually, though, he got tired of it, and he took a huge risk and gave himself up to Chicago police. It turned out to be the best decision for him, as authorities didn't have enough evidence to charge him with anything. Al was definitely no dummy. He always covered his trail and had most of his property in someone else's name. Even during all of that, Al indulged in one last bloody act of revenge. He killed two Sicilian colleagues who he believed had betrayed him. He invited the men over to have a big dinner, and then he took a baseball bat and whacked them. In May 1927, the Supreme Court ruled that a bootlegger had to pay income tax on his illegal bootlegging business. With that ruling, it wasn't long before the small special intelligence unit of the IRS started going after Al. He then left for Miami with his wife and son and bought Palm Island Estate, a property that he immediately started to renovate expensively. And it was actually Al's neighbor in Florida who played a part in his arrest. He did not enjoy having a notorious mobster living right next to him, doing noisy renovations. And his neighbor happened to be friends with a little politician, President Hoover. Hoover didn't like that Al overshadowed even him as the most famous American. So he pressured his Secretary of the Treasury, Andrew Mellon, to bring Capone down. Mellon set out to get the necessary evidence to prove income tax evasion and to amass enough evidence to prosecute Al successfully. Now, Al Capone wasn't all bad. Did you know he opened the first soup kitchens in Chicago during the Great Depression? And with them open, they fed up to 3,000 people every day who would have starved otherwise. It is believed that he started them to get a better public image and help keep the cops off of his heels. This holiday season, I'm only interested in what will make my life easier and less stressful. I cannot handle the crowds at the grocery store. But thanks to HelloFresh, I don't have to. Instead of dealing with rude people pushing and shoving me, I get to stay home in my slippers and wait for my meals to be delivered to my doorstep. It also doesn't help that I'm a procrastinator and 
waiting to buy everyone's gifts last minute adds up quickly. With HelloFresh, I save money so I can give more to my loved ones. Since I started using HelloFresh, I've been saving money and eating better. Takeout gets expensive quickly. I also love not wasting food thanks to HelloFresh's pre-portioned meals that fill me up and have taught me what an actual portion size is. I love HelloFresh because after 20 plus years of cooking, your queen is tired of figuring out what to make for dinner every night. Their menu has awoken my taste buds to new and delicious foods that I would have never tried. White bean and porcini mushroom ragu and chickpea fritters, especially. I even love plating the dishes and making them look fancy. Remember, we eat with our eyes first. If you'd like a break this holiday season and beyond, go to HelloFresh.com slash RottenFree and use code RottenFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash RottenFree with code RottenFree and try America's number one meal kit today. Whatever reasoning, that's a wonderful thing he did. After learning about Al, I understand why he had a large fan base. He was so well-liked that he would receive hundreds of letters every week from fans while he was imprisoned. Speaking of prison, on March 13, 1931, a federal grand jury met secretly on the government's claim that in 1924, Al had a tax liability of $32,488.81. Fearing that witnesses would be tampered with, a deal was secretly struck between Capone's lawyers and government prosecutors. Al was to plead guilty to a lighter charge and would receive a sentence of between two to five years. When word got out about that, the press and the public were outraged and campaigned against it. The overconfident Al, who believed that he would receive less than five years in prison, quickly became less cocky when he realized that his plea bargain was now null and void. On October 6, 1931, 14 detectives escorted Al Capone to the federal court building. He was dressed in a conservative blue suit and was without his usual pinky ring and gaudy jewelry. Gaudy jewelry? That's my favorite. The judge, Judge Wilkerson, he was no fool and knew all of Al's tricks. When he entered the courtroom, he demanded that the jury be exchanged with another from the same building. They were even brought in at night so Al's henchmen didn't have time to get to them. Al and his lawyer were shocked at that, and I'm guessing that Al quickly realized that he was done for. During the trial, attorney George Johnson mocked Al's claim to be a Robin Hood figure and man of the people. He stressed the hypocrisy of a man who would spend thousands of dollars on meals and other luxuries, but give little to the poor. After nine hours of discussion on October 17, 1931, the jury found Al Capone guilty of several counts of tax evasion. Judge Wilkerson sentenced him to 11 years in prison. $50,000 in fines and court cost of another $30,000 with no bail. 
He was first imprisoned in Atlanta, and he was a good prisoner by all accounts. He spent his time reading and trying to educate himself. Remember, he only had a sixth grade education, and it really made him feel unaccomplished. So, he used his prison time to fix that. He also bribed the guards to receive a better cell and special privileges while in Atlanta. And even though he was a good prisoner, Al was sent to a new little prison in California, Alcatraz, in 1934. And he was one of the first prisoners to call the island prison home. He immediately tried to assert his dominance and bribe his way to control Alcatraz's first warden, James Johnston, who shut down that idea. To which Al said, it looks like Alcatraz has me licked. I don't mind a good licking here and there. While he was at Alcatraz, he continued to educate himself and even learned to play the banjo. He even started an inmate band called the Rock Islanders. Now, it was prison, and we all know what happens when a large group of angry men are confined together. Al was attacked multiple times. In 1936, James Lucas stabbed Al with a pair of scissors in the prison barbershop. Al was fine afterward, but it's said that he beat James severely with his banjo. He served a total of four and a half years at Alcatraz, He was also suffering from long-term exposure to syphilis, which started to affect his brain and was transferred to the Terminal Island Prison in Southern California for the remainder of his sentence. It's believed that Al Capone contracted syphilis in his early 20s when he would frequent brothels. On November 16, 1939, Al Capone was released after having served seven years, six months, and 15 days and having paid all fines and back taxes. Still suffering from syphilis, he had gone downhill a lot during his confinement. Immediately upon release, he entered a Baltimore hospital for brain treatment, and then went home to his mansion in Florida. Oh, so he got to keep the mansion because it wasn't in his name. Mm. He really was no dummy. Following his release, he never publicly returned to Chicago he had become mentally incapable of returning to any type of gangland politics. In 1946, his physician and a Baltimore psychiatrist, after examining him, both of them concluded that Al had the mental capacity of a 12-year-old child. Al Capone died on January 25, 1947, of cardiac arrest at the young age of 48. His wife kept his illness secret, especially as his mind started to wander more and more. If his enemies had gotten word about what was happening to Al's mind, they most likely would have put a hit on him to protect their own secrets. Al Capone was certainly no angel, but he wasn't a complete devil either. It shows you what some people will do to give their families a better life. The lessons I learned from Al are, one, I didn't see nothing. And two, not every rotten deed is done in malice. Sometimes people do rotten things in the name of good. Money is a hard thing to turn down, but no amount of it is worth killing anyone.
let alone the hundreds who died because of the actions or orders of Al Capone. Revenge can be sweet, but if everyone lived by the saying, an eye for an eye, well, honey, then soon the whole world is blind. I appreciate and thank each and every one of you for supporting Rotten to the Core. Until next week, be happy, find peace, and don't hurt anyone. If you enjoy Rotten to the Core, please follow me on Instagram or join me on Patreon. Both of those are at It's Rotten to the Core. I also have a TikTok at Rotten in History. Don't forget to listen to me on my other podcast, Mystery Inc., that I do with my big brother Shane. And we have a Facebook group called Shane and Josh's Rabbit Hole where we will interact and have a plethora of fun with you. Join us there and have a great week ahead, everyone. I'll talk at you later. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.